Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about La Llorona, directed by Jairo Bustamante and written by Jairo Bustamante and Lissandro Sanchez. Some relevant trigger warnings for this movie include war crimes, genocide, child endangerment, and imagery of drowning. And our hosts rank this movie as existentially disconcerting. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes and a transcript. And after the spooky music, we'll talk about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now let's get on to the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight we're talking about the Guatemalan horror film based on the old folktale of the weeping woman, La Llorona. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Oh man, I guess glad I'm not constantly being protested against. <laughs> yeah. As far as we know. <laughs> I mean, quiet if they are. I will say, as someone who lives in Manhattan, fucking, I don't know, like, I'm like, deal with it. Oh no, people, loud noises outside where you sleep. However, will you survive? <laughs> and the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm wondering, whatever happened to just regular old seances? Like, why doesn't anyone do a seance at a party anymore? I know it's it's problematic on Zoom because of the movie Host, but like... Because we don't want to admit that the occult was mostly enjoyed by rich white people who were mad drunk. <laughs> I mean, everybody mad drunk should be able to appreciate a good, innocent seance. Seance uh, equality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we have two guests with us tonight. First, one of the founders of Latinx Geeks, and one of our first guests ever, uh, writer and reviewer Alexis Sanchez. Welcome back, Alexis. Hello, hello. Happy to be back and not talking about the mummy, but I will somehow slip it in. So we're always talking about the mummy, you know? I'm always at least thinking no. about the mummy. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have a new guest. Originally from Guatemala and living in L.A., working in animation and comics, including writing and drawing his Eisner-nominated original comic, The Journey, with true accounts of people migrating from Central America and the U.S., it's Pablo Leon. Pablo, thank you for coming. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. All right. Now, I was not a huge fan of this movie, not for any plot reasons. Mostly, I think the premise fucking rules but my issue was more with character development and pacing if you really enjoyed this movie please feel free to tell me to fuck off like just go for it <laughs> i Who did really I? my opinion means nothing so, i did you know, really enjoy this disagree, movie go for it i'm yeah, not gonna I tell you to much. fuck off because i like you a lot i will say off the top my dog agrees with you ace really didn't like this movie the constant drumming the weird whistling like he was not into it he got up and like several times throughout this movie creepy whispering he's he's not for that anytime there's like high-pitched music in these uh horror movies he's anti that especially the the horrible whistling scene anytime there's whistling in anything it's specifically a coded message just to him you know yeah well yeah it's interesting because the people in the movie that are doing the whistle whistling are fascists. So yeah. 
aces of anti-fascist and I support that because he is not into the fascist dog whistles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the first time I watched this movie, we actually did um, a like movie night with the Latinx discords during early pandemic times. So I actually watched this movie with headphones on and that was a horrifying experience because truly there is whispering and just like little sounds and talking throughout the whole film. I today I actually rewatched it and it's a totally different experience than just watching it like on the TV, like no surround sound compared to headphones and just yeah. having that like the first time I watched it, my anxiety was just through the roof, like just constantly, just with how like you really feel haunted watching this movie in that way. Like it was an experience and a half, honestly. <laughs> Pablo, had you watched it before this time? Yeah, I. Well, first of all, I I have to come clean that I'm not a huge horror fan. If my my girlfriend is, and she was the one that pushed me into it, but she didn't have to convince me. I was aware of the director before yeah. I watched a, another movie of his. Very similar way of filming. Very a lot of eerie sound. That's kind of like his style, slow pacing. So when this was announced, I was like, you know, I'm. I like this guy, but I'm sorry, I'm not gonna do this. I don't wanna like I don't wanna shit myself in the in the couch here <laughs> out of fear. But I you know, I, I did took me a week. I went into it. It wasn't as scary. And, you know, it, and I agree, like it wasn't a scary movie, but it did hit me pretty hard, mostly because the events that it refers to, I lived towards the end of those. I was in the country, we lived at the time when the war ended. So yeah, it kind of hit me in that in a different way, mm-hmm. different way. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. for me, it was like it's a really solid drama movie. I think the promise of calling it La Llorona, where like you're like, okay, there's gonna be a scary weeping woman ghost that's gonna kill people, and like they kind of allude to it throughout, but then nobody really dies until almost the end of this movie. And the other thing for me was you guys mentioned I, I can't imagine watching it in headphones because like. The sound mixing is really rough in this. It goes from being really quiet to really loud in a way that I don't know if it was intentional or not, but made it very difficult to watch on the TV. It's like, I have to turn it up, I turn it back down. Yeah. Turn it back down. I think that's my problem is that just calling it La Llorona, giving us like righteous vengeance spirit. My expectations for bloodlust were high. I think that if this was the story of a family through isolation and social and being socially reviled, were forced to confront truths they'd hidden from each other or denied all their lives and fractured and finally had to pick a side, there is a killer drama movie in here but the log line being like yeah vengeance spirit i'm like oh boy we're gonna get to see some assholes just get like murdered the fuck out of them and that's not really what the movie's about i mean it's a slow burn it's a very slow burn but i feel like the subject matter was so serious that if it became an over-the-top vengeance story horror movie the way that something like queen of black magic was or something like that i think it would be too much for me. The basis of this movie is so serious that I feel like if you make it any more fantastical, it makes it less serious, I guess. Yeah. That's a, I mean, a hard the, line to ride. I cannot speak for this particular 
tragedy event. I guess I'll say is that as a Jewish person, my favorite movie to deal with the Holocaust is definitely Inglorious Bastards. So I may be coming from a things with a bit of a warped perspective. Expectations are important. And I feel like you're, you know, that's the expectations in this movie really need to be like either nothing or very, very specific. I mean, we should, I should get into the recap, but really yeah. I'm like, they just give us such hateable, <laughs> despicable characters. And then I just, I'm just so impatient for terrible things to happen to these characters is really yeah, what so it gets down to. It's something I do want to discuss later, possibly the mismaking of La Llorona. But I do want to say that, like you're saying, like, if it had been overly violent, like, I feel like it would have been too much. But it also is a direct contrast to the direct violence, you know, that happened to these indigenous groups that we see in the film is very violent and then to contrast it with her revenge and her you know vengeance of her people being these quiet like mysterious deaths that just happen through the film it's not that direct violence but it's going to happen they are going to pay for what they've done and just like they're trying to hide what's happened to these indigenous people no one's gonna know what happened to you know the people that committed all these atrocities. That thought yes, husband, I think who has been missing or is yeah. gone. Like he got gut. <laughs> yeah. To me, the we, we let's get into the recap. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Diving into it. Hit it. <laughs> this movie is written by Jairo Bustamante and Lissandra Sanchez and directed by Jairo Bustamante and. It stars Maria Mercedes Coroy, Margarita Kenefic, and Sabrina De La Haz. The movie starts with old rich white ladies chanting and praying, which to this Jew will always be super creepy, so points to the movie for its beginning. The main old white lady who is glaring straight into the camera is Carmen, a lady who Karen so hard she wants to speak to the manager of a war crimes trial. And that's not a metaphor, because her husband, Enrique, is a former Guatemalan general on trial for genocide. So yeah, fuck this dude. The movie's like if Shudder or Queen of Black Magic started with the reveal, the victims totally have it coming. Enrique is awoken the night before the trial by the sound of a crying woman, and we get the first of many, many scenes of an old person slowly walking through a house in the dark. In his paranoia, he nearly shoots Carmen because... He's got a lot of guns, which he should not have. And then all of the family staff, except for their security and Enrique's secret maid daughter, quit. Because they decide they don't want to work for the gun-waving genocide anymore. The rich white people take this mass resignation with all the grace and understanding you would expect. We also meet Natalia, Enrique's adult daughter, who the movie sets up like she's going to be the main character. But then she never actually does anything or has an arc. There's also a bunch of references to her own daughter's missing husband and whether or not Enrique killed him or what happened. But that subplot goes nowhere, so everything about Natalia is kind of a complete waste of time. After hearing about the, you know, genocide, the court initially finds Enrique guilty, but then not guilty because powerful rich people being held accountable perish the thought. The family's forced into seclusion into the house because turns out people don't like war criminals getting away with war criminal crimes. And they besiege the house with protests day and night for the rest of the movie, which because they're the real heroes of the film. It's very, very effective this part. Just the constant protesting. Good job, movie. Now, since all the staff quit, they get a new maid, Alma, who is not in any way creepy or obviously a vengeful spirit. 
What follows is about 40 minutes of the family stuck in the compound while protests happen, looking sad while vaguely creepy things kind of happen. The most plot significant thing to happen is Enrique watches Alma in the shower and everyone gets mad at him. And Carmen decides she can excuse the genocide, but she draws the line at possible adultery. She also starts having nightmares that put her in the position of a native woman during Enrique's genocide because she can't understand that bad things are bad unless it directly affects her. Uh, Valeriana, the maid, eventually discovers that someone is working black magic on the house and Enrique just tells her to clean it up because that's how that works. You just spray Clorox on evil spells. They start a ceremony to cleanse the house and also she also realizes that Alma isn't who she says she is and is definitely an evil spirit because plot twist question mark. An hour 20 into the movie is when the real supernatural shit finally starts to go down. When ghost kids arrive to take Leonardo, the security guard, off to Ghost World. It's creepy and effective. Just wish it didn't come an hour 20 into the film, into an hour 29 film. Enrique's grandchild, Sarah, takes his oxygen tank to practice holding her breath because that's a whole other storyline that was going on during the 40 minutes. And like the mentally deteriorating psychopath that he is, start shooting at his granddaughter in the water. Natala finally decides that her mass murdering papa actually really is a bad guy after he wounds her daughter and they sedate his war crime committed ass. We then get a whole bunch of creepy ghosts looking at them, which is real effective as a continuation of the protest. But now it's all silent. Very creepy. I like ghosts. More creepy ghosts. They try to finish the ceremony to cleanse Enrique, but instead Carmen has another dream that she eventually realizes is Alma's memories and decides to choke out Enrique in a way that's definitely cathartic. And good for you, Carmen, for finally, I guess, realizing that you needed to get rid of your genocide-committing husband. Cue the funeral scene where another general gets attacked because the curse is continuing, and that's La Llorona. Huzzah! I mean, this movie, again, like we talk about, it's a slow burn. Our real payoff for the vengeance, which is very, very much telegraphed at the beginning, isn't until like the last just 10 minutes of the movie, really. But again, there's some creepy stuff that builds up and there's some mystery that builds up, but it is very, very claustrophobic. You're just focused on this family dynamic. And all the fucked up things that they do. I mean, like the the genocide is one thing, but you see these people who are just trying to figure out how to live with themselves after all of this shit that they've done or and are doing, like all of the racism, like how they were shaming the workers, the, the household staff saying like, oh, no one's going to want to hire you. Oh my God. Quit. And Carmen's being this, we buy you tortillas. That was the big benefit that they offer. Yeah, and that's a very real thing in Latin America. Like, white families, white rich families in Latin America still have, like, indigenous servants and this whole idea of, well, their family, we treat them so well. Yeah, they don't get to live with their family and they get paid almost nothing. And, you know, they serve us. But, you know, they're family, but they're not. That's the reality of it. And, like, even made better by the fact that, like, these indigenous people know what the fuck is going on like they mentioned we can hear la llorona is coming for him she's whispering in his ear like that's another reason they get out like yes he's doing all this stuff but like they know he's haunted i think what i really love about this movie is that it's not a secret that la llorona's coming for him or that almas la llorona like everything points to her being this vengeance spirit and you're just 
waiting, like the whispers and the talking and everything's waiting for that moment. Because I mean, she's even teaching Sarah, the daughter, like how to hold her breath because her children died by being drowned. She doesn't want her to drown. Like it's just like this slow pace, just waiting for it to happen. It's just that like suspense. And I honestly love that. (laughs) Yeah, the the drowning imagery of her trying to teach the daughter how to hold her breath, which is like, y'all, like, is this cool? It doesn't matter who. If somebody's like, hey, I'm going to take your kid and make them hold their head underwater. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't matter who they are. I do got beef with Sarah, the grandchild at the end, being like, look, I'm going to hold my breath longer. I'm like, you've got an oxygen tank. That's not holding your breath. That's scuba diving. (laughs) You're cheating, Sarah. Get out of here. She's trying her best. She's just, she's a child in this. And she is very, very ignorant of a lot of things that she is learning about. Especially, It is very clear right away that her mother is hiding everything like has not revealed anything to sarah yeah i feel like i kept hearing annoying old screenwriting teachers talking to me in this which was like a movie has to have a central problem that needs to be solved and it's very clear from the beginning of this one that the problem is somebody needs to kill enrique yes and no one's doing it yes it's like the the whole movie is like (laughs) okay somebody's got to kill this guy eventually clearly he is guilty of this he yeah, a bad person. This there is, is no the rare movie one that I come away with being like, I wish it had been the play. I think this would have been a really kick-ass play. It would have been, but I do. I mean, the the cinematography in this movie is phenomenal. The lighting, the composition, the way that certain scenes use steady cam and certain scenes don't we got rule of thirds we got non-rule of thirds you know and there's a contrast there there's like a huge visual uh masterpiece here which i think helps that the fact that the pacing is as slow as it as it is because the visuals and that rising tension really helps the journey feel worth it you know because it is kind of like a, a reverse who done it it's like who will do it how I want to know, but but that's where a lot of the suspense came from that was satisfying for me was like, I want to see just how fucked up this guy is, just exactly what he deserves and how. Also for me, I'm, I'm one of those people that feels like murder is not necessarily the most satisfying revenge. It's the how and the how long and like living with that guilt. And living with just the torture of that, the weight of the reality of something that this person has done, like a living hell, which is what this family is going through and all of their own design. Like it's all their own fault that they go through this. I thought like, okay, Natalia and Sarah are definitely going through a hell. Carmen is just all in on, I don't know whether you call it denial or just racism and white supremacy. Yeah, she's the uh, Italian American boss. Yeah, yeah. That way, but like Enrique, he does not feel guilty. He is incapable <laughs> of feeling guilty or remorse. Like when he's st- like, I don't know if we're supposed to assume that he faked his medical incident in the beginning, but when he just starts coughing and having like a heart attack type symptoms, and then it smash cuts to him sitting up, having whiskey poured, and smoking a cigarette. Yeah, as a, that is, I'm like. This is a man who has escaped consequence all his life, both materially and mentally. 
and I was I was with the protesters there. Like I was just already just in that moment, just so angry at him escaping consequences again. Like even then, like he's shown like just standing on his balcony, being like, "Oh yeah, protesters, they're there. I'm still gonna have my balcony time." I'm just like, I need this man to pay. I can't wait an hour and a half for him to start fucking really suffering for this shit. Dictators in Latin America and mostly military leaders to this day, they still believe that they're heroes. They yep. they scream it at the top of their lungs. I think you can see that with the general and the people that still the role around him. And I think that's that's definitely what I agree with what you were saying about it's not about him getting killed brutally or anything. It's more about the slow burn of him getting what he deserves slowly because in real life, the truth is that our communities never get any sense of justice. The trial that this was based on, it was absolutely, it went like that. He, yeah. he faked dementia for a while. The trial went on for like two, two weeks or so. And then he was found guilty for a second, but then he got overturned and then he walked away free. And yep. it was kind of a, a slap in the face, but there was some progress because that has never happened before. So. The war and the genocide in Guatemala is practically taboo. You know, no two people agree with it. You don't talk about it because it's just creating a problem. It's it's a messy story, messy history. And, you know, I absolutely, you know, you guys are absolutely right that this is not a horror movie. And it's just something that I, I saw him talk about. He wanted to talk about this particular time in history because we don't do it, you know. And not just in Guatemala, but even like in Central America or Latin America, it is very little talk about all the shit that we went through in the 80s, 70s, 80s. And yeah. it's finally happening. It's finally like becoming like my generation or, or early Gen X and Gen Z now. They're digging deeper into, you know, memory and history. And he basically was like, what is the best way to package this and make people sit down through it? Mm -hmm. So in some ways, like he didn't make that for he didn't make that for anyone else, but the country. It was more like a, yeah. I'm making this. What are you gonna do about it? And I think that's where Shutter later came in, and they were like, Oh, we want to pick up your movie. And he was like, What do you guys do? And they were like, We just we you know we do horror. And he was like, Well, genocide is the worst horror in the world. So that's that was the hook for them. But again, absolutely right. This is not a horror. Movie. It was a slow political fuck you, basically. Yeah. And good time I, for those, I feel like. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I think that is really important to mention because when we talk about the righteous fury of something like Inglorious Bastards, you know, that comes out like half a century after this discussion has been going. That right. Where we, time is important. Time and the discourse that's happened is super important. Yeah, uh, and you're not uh, totally right. And Jose Efraim uh, Rios Mont died in 2018 at 91. It's yeah, it's and sad. yeah, it's and this happened in 1983. I mean, I was born in like growing up in the 90s, everybody was so shocked at things like the Iraq war when this shit was going on, yeah. and like the culture in America was like, all those bad times are behind us, right. You know, th there was a huge disconnect with that because of American media. And this is, you know, this is the first time I really learned about it. Same. 
So yeah. I, I had zero context or knowledge before watching this movie. So in that, I definitely appreciate learning more about what's happened in the world. I'm just a gore wanting fucking monster. Well, <laughs> I think I think for me, some of the frustration is I think we talked a little bit early on about Natalia, who is the protagonist question mark of this yeah. movie. Starts the movie off at like my dad's not really a genocidal maniac, right? And gets to he probably is, right? Uh, I, and like, yeah, that's her. That's her character arc. Yeah, like I think that's my big problem with the movie is that yes, it's slow burn, but like there's no central character arc to still keep me engaged with the slow burn. Yeah, like I, I, wonder... I think that's what it is. I think I needed a stronger main character presence or arc somewhere in there. I yeah. too how much of like some of the things that struck me as, as odd about this are maybe a result of how recent some of this is or how people making this movie probably know people who have been in similar situations to some of these characters. Because like I had no question in my mind early on that Carmen was going down at some point in this movie. That like hmm. Carmen is specifically supportive of the fact that her husband and and the other men in the army did treat native women like dogs they did rape them have sex with them she's she's taking it much more she is projecting it as the native women being sluts also uh, it's like oh yeah even <laughs> the further we get into the movie like nothing we learn more about carmen like makes her more sympathetic i don't think she only turns uh enrique when it looks like enrique is chasing other women like it's her face turn is still based entirely on herself and her own selfishness it's not like again like i said the recap like it takes her having to actually experience the events of history for her to have give any fucks about the actual crimes her husband has committed. Yeah, and I mean, I personally, I feel like that's very accurate to white people in power. Yep, like, oh, 100%. Power. Like, why would you accept that your husband might be a genocidal rapist monster when you have this nice big house and you're at the top of the ladder in Guatemala and, like, all this stuff? Like, why would you want to accept that why would you care about all these people? Like, she's the epitome of, like, white Catholic woman. Mm-hmm. Like, everything, yeah. like, is exactly that. So why would she change anything about that unless it personally affects her? Yeah. Yeah. No, super realistic. It's just, like you said, Jeremy, like, I was expecting her to get a karmic horror comeuppance in the film that doesn't really come, aside from needing adult diapers. Which, no shame in that. We all age. It happens. Yeah, well, I think that her personal definition of dignity, that is being taken from her. And it's a very personal hell that she's going through. And it also speaks to what you were saying, Pablo, about how we don't, you know, people don't talk about it. And how, you know, especially in, in this family, certainly it's not something that you really talk about. And I can see Natalia wanting to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But also not being able to, A, because she's a member of the family and she's a doctor and her her father's life kind of relies on her in a big way. And B, you know, she's in this position where if she really, really accepts what happens, 
then she is going to fall apart. And, you know, that's not an excuse by any means, but I can see that struggle, which is why I tentatively labeled her as Dr. Protagonist, because she was the most conflicted character of that group of the, you know, war crimes family. I don't know. I feel like she was set up to be the main character. Like, I, yeah. I feel like she, starting out being like, I'm mixed and reluctant, but I feel like I should support my family to yeah. my dad's a monster and he needs to be stopped. I'm like, yeah, that's a natural main character character arc. Great. Good. Yeah. Got our protagonist character arc. Like, especially me, like the movie starts real strong and then just keeps going. And then like that arc ever really happens. It's just kind of like, she kind of spends most of the movie looking for her daughter who's spending most of the movie learning how to hold her breath longer. Yeah. And learning about the people that died. You know, she's looking at the flyers and learning the names and the faces and recognizing them in the crowd. Once she notices that and points it out to Natalia, Natalia then sees it. What I got, sorry, just going back to that, what I got from from Carmen was that she had to relive a massacre as a dream, I guess, in in order for her to even get it, because otherwise she wouldn't have. She would have just gone on. But I don't think it was really well clear. It wasn't super clear on how, and it was such a quick turn. So in that sense, yeah, like I wish that would have been a longer, either a longer sequence of events where she's feeling it as it goes on, or she should have bitten it at some point because that, yeah, yeah, I agree with Alexis and, you know, and Ben on that. She was like the oblivious, ignorant person in this situation. I mean, yeah, she was that's the kind of in thing. denial. I agree with you, Pablo. That's the kind of thing where I say my issues with the movie have nothing to do with like necessarily like the overall plot or themes. It's in like the specific pacing. Like all like Carmen's dream should have started like 45 minutes into the movie, not an hour 10 into the movie. Like the, like all of these things going on should have just been, I don't know, longer, more. I don't know. I, I will say one of my favorite parts of the movie is I loved just how casual she dropped that truth on being like, oh yeah, Alma's kids are dead. Mega yeah. casual, walk the fuck off. Yeah, she did a lot of mic like, dropping. Like, absolute chill. I'm like, yeah, this, this fantastic woman who appears performance in her Sarah. 20s has had two children and they're already dead. Like, yeah. yeah, it's rough. She says that like she's describing what game she played at recess that day. Yeah, I, I think my... My frustration with some of this, I think, is, or at least with the character of Carmen and where we kind of end up with that, is like, I feel like it's the same way I felt when I watched, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Rendition, which came out sort of like post-war in Afghanistan, which is about like this guy who is just an average Arab-American guy who like the CIA decides did something or knows something, so they just snatch him up and he disappears. And like, the whole thing is played specifically through the point of view of his wife, who's Reese Witherspoon. And I was like, oh, so like the audience needs to see a white woman be upset that her innocent husband has been snatched up for them to like even begin to process what's going on. It can't just be, yeah, it's wrong. This guy that did nothing got snatched up off the street. Or it certainly can't be, you know, an Arab American woman who's dealing with this. It's got to be straight up blonde ass Reese Witherspoon, like missing her clearly innocent (laughs) husband. Just so they can be like, yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> oh, man. 
Hollywood. Oh, one other thing about the scene where Sarah reveals to Natalia that Alma has two children who are already deceased is, and again, this is the movie knowing exactly what it's doing, but Natalia's sketchy-ass response to that news when she says, natives have so many children so fast. Oh my god, Natalia. She's just afraid of Yikes. Yeah, like... Yikes. Yeah, so bad. Oh, God. Yeah, Natalia has fallen on the not-quite-racist enough that genocide is okay, but still pretty fucking racist. Yeah, again, I was... I was really was thinking all throughout of that um, community meme. I can excuse racism, but I draw the line at animal cruelty. You can excuse racism. It's like, I can excuse the genocide, but looking at women in the showers where I draw the line. The, like, you need to reevaluate where the fuck you're drawing your lines, Carmen. The one thing, okay, so there's a couple things that Carmen says. The fact that after she fucking blames Alma, she's like, Alma, you gotta wear a different outfit so you don't get harassed. And I'm like, she was in the shower. Like, she was taking a shower in her quarters. Like, is she supposed to take a shower in her outfit? Like, fuck you. But then after that, when uh, they take uh, Enrique back to bed, uh, she's like, oh no, this isn't Alzheimer's. He's just a fuck. And, you know, I'll deal with it. He's like, he's always had an eye for women that for yeah. women oh, specifically like it's so gross crawled. yeah and, and just like ugh. yeah no it's awful and she she basically is like locker room talk boys will be boys yeah so, like it's so fucking ter- well, yeah question it's i perfect. have about the movie is there a cultural context towards the imagery of the frogs the frog imagery appeared a few times and i i didn't know what to make yeah. of that or what that necessarily symbolized anyone got any um, frog theories i've never seen that my only guess is because of up north there's that a jungle area you know that place that star wars used in the you know to film oh yeah 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 you got it the, the place where oscar yeah, isaac yeah, is from yeah yeah so that's a very a very jungly area so it has a, like a lot of different kinds of frogs and animals but i that one that, that that really threw me off too i wasn't sure about that there was one thing that was like that i, I wish it's yeah now i feel like i'm just shitting on it but i i wish <laughs> it would have just like gone more into it only because like i know about it but i wish it was more from it is that valeriana is like the general's daughter and that comes from there were like two major massacres that happened in the 80s specifically 82, and the soldiers, they killed about all the kids, but they took a couple with them, and they, they just raced them as their own. And uh, There's a great documentary about that called uh, Finding Oscar, and it, called, it follows two of them when they found out about their origins. And I just kind of wish they would have gone more into it. They, it was just sort of like lightly touched. And I understand why he did it, because at the end of the day, as much as he wants to piss off the government of Guatemala, like he still has to sell this movie. So, yeah. you know, I, I get it. But that was one thing that I was like, ah, oh, man, it would have been really good. I think it's remarkably kind to the people on the wrong side of this throughout, like just the way he presents it and the way that those characters are treated. Because, I mean, it, it would have been pretty standard for a horror movie like this. Uh, at least for Carmen to die, if not also, you know, 
all of his kids, his granddaughter. Um, and I, I think it's really interesting the way that they approach the character of Alma doing her best to make sure the granddaughter survives like and learns, you know, that mm-hmm. she's trying to fix some of this. She's not just there to, to straight up murder this guy. It seems to be... Much- <laughs> if this is, these two words seem strange together, but sort of restorative vengeance. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think yeah. it is like about not just wanted violence, but like justice. Like he's the one that yeah. did all of this, so these are the people that we're gonna come for. Not like his whole. We're not gonna wipe out his entire lineage, but like the people that committed these crimes, they're gonna pay. Yeah, you know, type of I, thing. I know. I've been mostly critical, and this movie is dealing with like important issues and shedding light on poor topics and i feel bad just i do feel bad just being mean to it i never like being just like mean to any movie that isn't a resident evil or Shyamalan film (laughs) but like i just wish it had gone like deeper on the characters there like i wish we had gotten deeper on valeriana and how she feels being from this indigenous culture while also being like you know, essentially probably Enrique's secret child who he keeps employed as a barely paid maid. And like, you know, what's her, I wish we got to know like her feelings more about the situation that was going on. What I wish we got more about uh, Latona. Like, what does he feel as that perspective of a modern day soldier? Like, what does he feel defending this monster of a person does he agree with what happened does he feel he's just a person doing a responsibility like but what cost does he then have to pay for protecting a terrible person like maybe this could have been a play or a tv series but like i wish we just gotten deeper on all of these people and their various perspectives they would have on the situation I personally, and don't worry about them being mean because I'm going to be very nice for contrast. I personally think that, I mean, it's a, it's a movie about ultimately this, there's vengeance that's happening and it's a quiet, unfair vengeance. And, you know, people want public justice, you know, people should have some sense of public justice because, you know, it otherwise just the understanding of how things are supposed to work just gets more and more fucked and i think that the fact that so many things are vague in this movie is really smart and also the theme is so heavy or i should say the subject matter is so heavy and complicated in terms of how it interacts with all these characters and how you know how are these characters living with that I don't feel sorry for any of these characters just to be clear i mean except for like the victims Yes, I definitely want to see vengeance, but the obvious and very frustrating extent of denial that these people are go like that the, they're trying to maintain, I feel like is fr- is horrific enough in and of itself. It's also very realistic, unfortunately. Yeah, that is every day in Guatemala. <laughs> yeah, and I I feel like if there was something yeah. more extreme, if this is more extreme it would be easier to dismiss as sensationalizing what happened as much as it doesn't like yeah the atrocities don't need any any attempt for sensationalizing and even in the film in the narrative of the film they say like oh these people were sensationalizing what happened because they were paid or whatever and that was part of the, mm-hmm. the denial and even down to when their house is surrounded by angry ghosts when they're 
granddaughter, the newest generation, is almost shot by this fucking uh, war criminal monster. And he is a monster. Like, I don't I don't think we're supposed to feel anything other than he's the monster. And it's just about how he affects his family. Yeah, the only emotion I feel for towards Enrique is hate and revulsion. Yeah. Which is what the movie wants yeah. us to feel. Yeah, and... He has... He is, at no point in the film is he given a single redeeming quality. And they're doing this... There's this their own seance to try to protect themselves and shit ain't working. And even then they're like, we didn't start the fire. It was all him, you guys. We didn't start. And then ultimately, you know, uh, Carmen in the midst of her dream, which I believe is the, uh, it's like the last moment of Alma's life, which mm-hmm. was trying to, like, I'm hoping, you know, that it was trying to strangle him. She, of course, didn't make it. But, you know, as she's strangling him, Everyone else in the room is just watching with just kind of like acceptance. Like, this is going to happen. Yeah, this is fine. With I feel like that is the that is where the arc is right there. I where think- they all kind of like, sorry, I just wanted to say that like just all of that denial. And as they they didn't do anything to stop her, they are just sitting in the corner and just being like, okay. <laughs> like yeah, and There's more way, her vengeance is making his family hate him. <laughs> like, yeah. All these people who are supporting him at the beginning, that they're sort of giving this speech at the beginning, which, like, even not knowing the context was chilling at the beginning of the movie, where he's saying, look, like, you're going to go in there and we're going to wear suits because we're not war criminals. We're not bad guys. We're the heroes here. So, you know, we're going to dress like heroes and look like heroes. Could a war criminal wear a blazer? And the war criminal have this many military awards. Come on now. Yeah. I also feel like there's something very cathartic about the production of this movie and like showing what's behind the doors of a war criminal who's essentially under house arrest. With the protests and going on, he still had a very comfortable house. You know, they were outside sunning themselves and meditating and shit. I think the thing that this movie succeeded at the most from a pure filmmaking standpoint, was creating a very unique, very effective atmosphere by contrasting the manicured beauty and isolation of this compound against the constant presence of the protest. And that, mm-hmm. like, this sense of, like, visual serenity mixed with audio discord was very effective yeah. in this film. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I will say I gave this movie shit about sound mixing and that is, that is not unmerited, but there is something <laughs> to be said for the fact that like throughout this movie, there is that from the point that the protests start after the trial on, there is constant crowd noise outside. There's a sound of drums and chants and everything going off there. Yeah. And then that makes that last scene where the people are gone and it's just ghosts and everything is completely silent, it makes it yes. incredibly eerie. Yes. Because like hundred used to this, yeah. it's like bum 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 in the background the whole time. So like they, they do a great job. That last scene, as little as they do to make a lot of the rest of the movie scary, that last scene of like where they sort of bring the wilderness into that pool. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's lily pads and frogs and mist and everything everywhere. It's, it's like, it's really creepy. Yeah. 
I'm like, I, I wish more of the movie was like that. The frog, I think, I mean, my guess with the frog is that A, water, because water was sort of the ghost theme, the, mm-hmm. the theme of the haunting. And then B, I think a lot of, there's a lot of like association all over the place with frogs and especially with Catholic superstition. I did have yeah, my notes throughout being like, sure is a lot of water imagery. Like, wonder what the deal with yeah. this water imagery is. And like, I'm like, I completely understand why there was all this water imagery. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, the story. Like, of, oh, no, that's like, yeah. 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 Her <laughs> main thing, you know, she drowns her children in the water and. I mean, like, just okay, that that's story me, alone. That's me being an American dum-dum, because I just knew the crying <laughs> bit, but I didn't know about the drowning yeah, bit. Yeah, so... So I didn't. that's me being a dum-dum without the proper cultural context. Yeah, like... Uh, it depends by country, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's in, by in, country, region. And I think yeah. it also goes back to, like, older, like, Jeremy, I believe you mentioned the in the beginning, the weeping woman, like imagery like that folklorish tale that's like thousands of years old like you could trace some of that even back to like you know ancient greece but it's this essential story of a woman done wrong and then her you know either losing it or something like that and drowning her children so that's kind of the essential story but lairona depending on where you're from it also goes back to indigenous stories and to the conquest of Latin America. So there is this figure, La Malinche, in Mexican Aztecs history that was a translator and or like mistress to Hernan Cortes, who, you know, is the conquistador for Mexico and did all of those atrocities. And she is viewed both as a traitor for you know basically handing over mexico to spain by helping him and as the like mother of modern day mexico because of her children who you know were the combination of both of those so she's both of these figures but some people do trace la llorona back to her story of having children with him and then possibly killing them out of who they were or like madness when he leaves her behind. Like it's a version I've heard before, but I think that taking La Llorona imagery, like this idea of this crazy woman who loses it, kills her children and then tries to find more children. So the story is like, if you're by a river, you know, don't call her name. If you're by water, don't call her name. Cause if you're a child, she will come for you and she will take you and she will kill you. Like, it's that horror story. And then you have this movie that completely takes that story, completely slips it on its head by saying, no, this is not some crazed woman. This is a mother looking for vengeance for her children who were taken and murdered in front of her. This is like, it completely takes us, I guess, misogynist into like this story of empowerment. And a very like old classical story and bringing like the indigenous character back into like the center of it. And even better, like casting actual like Mayan indigenous mm-hmm. actors. Like, no, definitely in some way it's very much connected to La Malinche because also La Malinche yeah. was in recent years. Now there's the whole thing that no, she wasn't like working with Cortez, she was a slave. She mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. raped and yeah. possibly raped. And exactly. I wish I, I had 
watch the report, but Mustamante mentioned that the character of La Llorona is very much connected to the Maya, to a Mayan uh, uh, mythology. I so I don't I don't have it clear though. So I might if somebody calls you on bullshit, fair, you know. <laughs> but no, no, that's I definitely feel like I remember reading that, but. I will have to look it up. That's something definitely to look up. I, I think it's really interesting. This movie does for La Llorona as a as a myth and a character the same thing that the 2021 Candyman tries to do for Candyman as a myth and a character is like. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't make sense that this person would go around like killing their own people. This is somebody who is who's been done horribly wrong by you know this system, and you know they are a spirit of vengeance for these people, you know, avenging this wrong Candyman just straight up kills a lot of people. But <laughs> yeah, you know, the vengeance. No, that's a, that's a story. different movie. We might have to cover one day. Very Nicholas cagey movie. <laughs> yeah, this movie has very little to ghostwriter. I will say, <laughs> you know, you're definitely right about the Candyman as a way of starting to reclaim a myth as something that defends a marginalized community rather than doing harm to itself. Yeah, and it's it's attacking the idea of blaming the victim, which is a big part of the denial that yeah. has enabled people to to live with. Oh, Carmen is all about blaming those victims. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And the fact that she does a murder at the end, I think for her, I mean, Carmen does a murder. Yeah, that should I have think. been the title. Carmen does a murder. I mean, spoilers. <laughs> I, I will say, I, I do want to point out, Maria Mercedes Coroy, who plays Alma, is great in this. She yeah, somehow she's hits this hard balance of being, like, very beautiful, very scary. Like, she doesn't do or say a lot of things that are, like, it's directly scary, but mm-hmm. she, she has a presence. She has a, a this sort of intense stare she's so like good at moment being, she shows up in the crowd you're like that's a fucking ghost she's so but, good at yeah. being absolutely stone-faced yeah it's incredible she's and great. it's actually i believe probably you mentioned this right it's her second time working with Taito. yes uh yeah she was the main character on the movie called uh Ishkamu, the it was like the volcano but mm-hmm. you know interesting that you bring that up because the indigenous population is very marginalized, it's looked down upon. There's a stigma of a lot of a lot of them don't really look at you in the eye because of the treatment, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. So but she looks she looks at you and you can mm-hmm. feel it. There is a an interview where she mentioned, or I think it's a director that mentioned it, that her grandmother lived through the war and she learned to cry in silence. And she said that she was to cry very hard to be listened by the world. And I thought that was like, holy shit, you know, that is wow. wow. Deep. But yeah, no, she has, she's amazing. I think she's in another show too. She's definitely blowing up. And well, she's uh, cast in the new uh, Wakanda Forever. Black Panther. Yes. Really? She's going to be, oh, that's dope, dope, dope. That. Yeah. They've got like indigenous actors in that, and it is so fantastic. I'm so excited for that just to see that and just to know like someone as good as her, like, is in that and getting that kind of spotlight. It's fantastic. That's awesome. That's super. Yeah. And next week, we're going to be talking about Tigers Are Not Afraid, which has uh, Tina Cuerta in it, who's 
Namor in, in that. So Namor. That's what I'm hoping they call like actually call oh, Namor. Say it. I will lose right. my mind if they actually like. Oh, that's gonna be great. Oh man, bring on the roll dars. <laughs> yeah, he, he uh, when he was at the uh, the panel in San Diego, just like he's incredible, just on the panel talking about doing it. So can't wait. Yeah, that. they both have really great, like just like a physical presence like in the room like i don't know like a quiet power and you just want to pay attention to them and i'm so excited to see that it has these like royals of this like underworld under sea world that's what i mean to see. <laughs> so yeah because she is just so creepy and so beautiful and so like painted so innocently it's wonderful yeah, she does have kind of the, in this film, in um, La Llorona, she has a, a, an innocence to her as well in the way that she just kind of moves and looks around and, you know, just kind of does her own thing, but also very elemental, which I think is is what really works for that character because she is elemental. I mean, she's mm-hmm. she's essentially an elemental. They put her in that flowy white dress, which is, is looks very ghostly when she's yes. yeah. walking around and then it... it you know, blows in the wind. Her hair just yeah, blowing. Oh gosh, that's regarding what Pablo said about the crying. Nobody in this movie cries on screen. Even the women who are testifying, the the woman in, on the on the stand that we see, she opens up her veil to speak. Which I don't know the specific significance about of that, but it certainly felt like it was significant. Mm-hmm. Because for most of the time, after she she speaks about what happened, and then when she lifts up her veil and says, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say what I said and to share what I said, I hope you're not embarrassed to do justice, it was so fucking incredible. And none of these people, I mean, like, even as this family is dealing with the protests, they're also not crying, which I feel like is really, really important. Because if we saw them crying, we would feel more sorry for them, I think. Or we would we'd feel like we would be supposed to be feeling sorry for them. I don't know. Yeah. If we would actually feel <laughs> knowing. What yeah. the, the only time that somebody does cry is Carmen at the end when she is scream crying about, you know, the death of her dream children. Oh, uh, yeah. Choking out her husband. So, uh, yeah. They all have the wailing from Alma. Yeah. I'm screaming my children and uh, yeah, and the end. But it's off. It, like we hear the weeping, yeah. but it's always oh, disembodied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when we actually see the crying, we also see Carmen as Alma in the hut in the field as she's you yeah. know protecting her children, and she's crying then. And that's when she you know she urinates herself in fear, and then she wakes up and realizes that, and she doesn't tell anybody that this is why. Her daughter says that oh it's normal for her people of your age and Carmen says absolutely nothing about why you know what the context was that she remembers for that yeah, she definitely yeah. remembers yeah I want to say uh, we got to get to a couple of questions here but I do want to say this ends with this cover of La Llorona by Gabby Moreno which is beautiful so like I would say mm. don't don't cut out when you hit the credits because like that is yeah. it's gorgeous so yeah check that she, out she went all out that one yeah I, I was listening to that before before jumping yeah it's really good yeah <laughs> i was it was definitely like i was tired it was late at night and i was like ready to shut it off but she's like that started and i was like wow she's really killing it but i think we've covered racial social justice and and how the scene deals with class pretty well 
uh, <laughs> at this point. Um, do you feel like the movie was feminist or, or dealt with you know any sort of feminist ideas in a meaningful way? I mean, I think so. It definitely ground Enrique's crimes in the woman's perspective. Like it was noticeably, it was all women who were the witnesses at yeah, exactly. the trial. Yeah, uh, I mean. I do think this movie is feminist. I don't think you find it in Carmen and Natalia. I think you find it in Alma and the other indigenous women who, through legal means, who, through protests, who, through ghostly shenanigans, are the ones seeking justice. In all instances, we are seeing, we are given context for the severity of these crimes through their eyes and experiences. And I think yeah. it's very it's very honest with uh, Carmen and Natalia in, you know, a very in-your-face sort of way, how their ignorance and their arrogance, they did start the fire. They were there, you know. <laughs> they have no right to ask these ghosts for their mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carmen specifically. Yeah, no, I, no I, I do believe that it does, to a degree, yeah, it does bring it in a, more of a, yeah, more of a feminist uh, view. I think because of the way that the war went, and it's 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 documented that a lot of the strategies were to do as much damage as much damage as they could to to women. Because how do you cut off? In their words, how do you stop the seed of a revolution? You stop it with women, and it was a horrible time. They did horrible things to them. So I was really glad that they. It wasn't framed from the perspective of, you know, somebody else. Not that no, no one else suffered, but it was definitely the ones that suffered most were yeah, indigenous women. So yeah, on that degree, yes. Yeah, I think it it's important that it doesn't pull punches for Carmen. Like that she is somebody who she doesn't seem to have much in the way of, of feminist views in the first point, but like whatever care she does have about other women does not extend to native women specifically. I would say I would go as far to say she does not view them as people. And the, the movie is very frank about that. I had a question about because they have a woman as the judge that hands out the verdict. Whose verdict is thrown out almost immediately. Yeah, her verdict <laughs> is also thrown out. But is in historically, do we know if the there were women not judges? Yes. Yes. So it's okay. just it was actually she was very much like the one that was pushing for him to get convicted she's there very much herald as a, a pillar of justice over there okay and uh, i guess semi fun fact once the war ended the war ended unfortunately with a priest getting killed and that created another trial that she was actually had experienced and somebody threw a grenade in her house oh gee uh so oh, no you know so it was like uh yeah no it's it's a lot but yeah she was the one that was um really pushing against his lawyers as well. So, yeah, I, they got her right. I believe she... There's also another woman that showed up, another indigenous woman that was in the movie as a cameo, and it's uh, Rigoberta Menchu. She was in the trial. Rigoberta was... She was in a documentary in the 80s that kind of put a spotlight on the war at the time. Uh, what happened was there was a, a fight and the Spanish embassy was lit on fire with her father inside it and multiple people. And that was like a sort of like a, a domino effect. But she was very much like in the spotlight. She's actually a Nobel Peace Prize from 
because of this situation. She was also in the movie as well. She had a small camp. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Amazing. Let's look her up some more. <laughs> I'm doing that right now. Absolutely. I would ask, we usually look into any sort of LGBTQIA plus themes. I don't feel like there's much to get into here. In this yeah, no. 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 Does not touch on that at all. <laughs> nope. Every, all of us just nodded. You're like, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's pretty straight. Yeah. Yeah, it does deal a little bit with physical and mental health almost all around, you know, the villain of the piece and impossibly, you know, having Alzheimer's dealing with that. I how feel much like that is real and how much of it isn't is. is yeah, I was going to say dealing with that as exploration of mental health, I think, is complicated by what you were saying, Pablo, about how the real life basis for this guy faked dementia as part of it. So I think that hanging over all that makes it really hard to look at it as really draw any conclusions about Alzheimer's specifically as a theme or affliction. I also think it's um, like one thing I think I say a lot is uh, mental illness is not an excuse to do bad things. Yeah. You know, so like yeah, lots of people have Alzheimer's and they never committed yeah. any genocides or, you know, yeah. watch their servant in the shower. And be a disgusting old man. Oh, so oh, I hate it. What he says specifically for that is he says, Everyone knows I sleepwalk, and then there's says, You've never sleepwalked. Yeah, immediately. That's like why I I needed like cathartic violence, was just being like, (laughs) God, this monster of a man, like, will immediately just pivot to lies and denial. Like, we'll never, Mm -hmm. so this man will never suffer an ounce of guilt. Or remorse. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, the the next question, I think, is just rounding it up. Does everybody feel like this movie is worth seeing? Would you recommend people check it out? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Thousand percent. I'm, you know, I'm a little more torn. I've obviously been a little critical, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, if you know absolutely nothing about this historical event like I did, it's definitely a good place to start to at least get you asking questions and wanting to learn more about you know a real tragedy that did happen so watch it for the educational aspect i mean yeah, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't recommend it for uh, as a horror movie it's not i think it, it has elements you know of mythology of horror and loose, loosely magical realism but it's That's more or less exactly what I was just about to say. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. very loose on that. It's not so... I can't say where it would fall in the category. It's definitely not a horror movie. So I wouldn't recommend it as... If you just want to, like, get scared or anything, I won't do it. But for everything else, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, I would say this is a drama with supernatural elements yeah. uh, that borrows from Agreed. a, you know, horror folktale yeah. to sort of set the setting i think the name la llorona maybe doesn't do the film itself many favors but also it possibly will get people to watch this movie that wouldn't watch it otherwise and like learn something that maybe they should know about so like i, I was searching it's for it yeah. put in la llorona 2019 Jairo Bustamante, because if you just put in la llorona 2019 you're gonna end up with the curse of la llorona which was don't watch that. Just don't watch that. Like, they have a Mexican family who's just side characters when they should have been, like, the main characters and all just kinds of nonsense. It's not good. 
I mean, maybe you guys should review it just to. <laughs> I mean, that was one that, like, when we were asking for suggestions, because you know we wanted to do you know a variety of of stuff with. I specifically wanted to have, our to make sure our stuff exploration with... of James Wan will eventually take us into the Conjuring verse. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I wanted to make sure that as we were talking about like doing stuff for Hispanic American Heritage Month, that like we talked about stuff with with actual like directors and creators who were you know hispanic and, and latinx and not that it was like that movie specifically got recommended to me and i was like did somebody t- this looks like somebody took a folk tale that is latin american origin and set it around a white family and that's not really mm-hmm. what i am after <laughs> yeah not, yeah i got what we're going that. for yeah so yeah I, I again i do think it's worth checking out i think people should definitely watch it and it's on shutter it's a you know listen to the show. I would say watch it with headphones, and that would just increase the suspense horror feel of it. Like if you really want to be scared and creeped out by this like already horrifying movie just because of the topics, just wear headphones. Do it like that, and you will never feel alone watching this movie. It is absolutely chilling. <laughs> I mean, this is my favorite kind of horror movie, which is where it's very subtle, it's very intense. It has just like a little hint of the supernatural. It talks about subjective reality and it talks about, you know, it, it really invests in the intelligence of the audience to understand exactly like how fucked up this is. And, you know, like it's not a it's not a horror movie like the like the Queen of Black Magic is a horror movie. There are bugs crawling out of people's eyes and stuff like that. But it is oh. yeah. Sorry about sorry about physically <laughs> felt that one. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, it's I think I would recommend this movie to a lot of people. I would make sure that they are familiar with the context. Yeah. I mean, the context is pretty clear in the film, but I think it's also yeah. important that it's very close, very very well, close. No, trigger warning. This movie is about genocide and does frequently deal with rape and also murdering of children on screen. <laughs> those, are, yeah. Yeah. those are three. That all happens. Yeah, it's, there's not a lot of people jumping out of things and surprising you, but they do have like big three chairs there. Um, yeah. For people who uh, watch this and want to find uh, something else to follow this up with, uh, Pablo, do you have anything to recommend for people? Uh, okay, so I don't know what you know, horror-wise, but I would say there are two movies that I feel it also have, like, a similar feel to it, is Prayers for the Stolen by Tatiana Hueso, and Identifying Features. I don't remember the director's name. I apologize. And, you know, surprisingly, they're both filmed in a similar way. You know, there's a lot of sound, you know, playing with a lot of sound, and the way they're shot and the way that the storytelling moves, is it's very similar in that it shows you how bleak things are, and it never really, like, it never really gives you a, a false sense of, like, oh, things will be okay. It's more like, these are the things. Here you go, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't, I prob- I'm not selling them very well, but trust me, they're very good. They're shot Beautifully identify features was like a big reference point for a short that I'm working on. So it's it works. But yeah, they're they're bleak. They're bleak. Very Latin right. American, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Alexis, what have you got? Um, so 
I think it's a trend that when I'm on this podcast, I kind of do like horror adjacent movies. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the horror adjacent as well, because, you know, we need a little bit uh, happier after watching this movie, which is Vampires in the Bronx. Like, I that it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Like, Hell yeah. Vampires, kids fighting them, like, in the Bronx and just like the Dominicanness of it, like, it's just a good time. And I feel like everyone should watch that. And obviously The Mummy 1999 with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss, of course. That is worth watching no matter the context. Absolutely. Emily, what have you got? I actually want to recommend, even though I haven't seen it, I just learned about it today, that the documentary that Pablo was talking about, was it Finding Oscar? Yes. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So I'm, recommend- I'm recommending that to you and me and... All of us that haven't seen it yet, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, it's it's hard, but I hope you know. I hope you enjoy it in some way. Don't enjoy it, but you know. <laughs> no, I get it. Like I would love to know more of the facts about this situation because you know it's one of these things that this movie really showed if me. If I may, you know? if I may throw one more, please. There was a book that was called The Art of Political Murder, but it was recently made into a documentary it's on hbo max i at least that i remember it was still there i don't know <laughs> as of last week yeah <laughs> but that one deals with the messy downfall that was the end of the war which is covered in this movie i don't know if this it's a terrible trend but a lot of latin american wars and events they usually tend to either start with the murder of a priest or end with a murder. so this was yeah. So this one particular ends with a murder of priest and it just kind of becomes like a political thriller courtroom stuff. Yeah. So yeah, Art of Political Murder and it deals with the aftermath of, of the events that go into this movie. Oh yeah, I'll have to check that out. Awesome. Uh Ben, what have you got? So I'm going to recommend a story of how one man's endless pursuit of evil deeds inevitably drives away his family and condemns him to a life worse than death. And that is Godfather 2. <laughs> Pretty good, yeah. No punchline. Those themes check out. Go watch yeah, Godfather, solid, Godfather 2. Yeah, you can still skip Godfather 3 all these years later. We're still following oh, yeah. that. Yeah. As for me, I think, you know, we've already mentioned a couple of things that I, I feel like hit kind of adjacent to this and that they, they do deal with social themes. They're a little less straight up horror-y, but are still very good. Like the, you know, 2021 Candyman, I think was very similar to this, if if not a bit more scary. And the Queen of Black Magic, which we talked about. I'm not sure if I recommended it on here before, but another one that hit me is uh, The Lodge, which is, uh, I know is available on, I believe, Hulu right now. Um, as far as I know, they're not purging random things off their system. God. And uh, the lodge is set in America, and it's about a woman who has escaped this cult that her father was the leader of, this hyper-religious cult. And she is supposed to be going on a uh, a trip with her new husband and the her two stepchildren that she has just inherited <laughs> by marrying this guy. And uh, he has to go away for work stuff as soon as they get there. So she's sort of left there with these two two stepchildren that hate her. And uh, it starts to become clear that her cult seems to be coming for her in this sort of like 
snowed in cabin that they're at in the middle of nowhere. Things start getting very bad and very strange very quickly. It has the same sort of shut in feeling and I think deals a lot more, a lot less with sort of country stuff and a lot more with religious community stuff and dealing with the fact that your father may be a horrible person and in all of that. But it's, uh, that one is also kind of a rough watch, but, uh, definitely worth checking out. And as again, maybe not straight up horror, but is very unnerving, <laughs> much like this movie was. Um, yeah. well, with that said, uh, Let's go ahead and uh, I want to make sure that people can uh, find you guys online if they want to, you know, follow up, talk to you more. Pablo, where can people find you online? Where can they find out more about your work as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as RTPapster and my website is RTPapster.com. I guess if I may, I would like to plug in a book that I'm working on, well, two books that I'm working on. One comes out in October and it's like a Spider-Man book. Really nice. Very friendly, you know. And the second book is called Silence Voices. It does come out in 2024. It's a graphic novel, but it does deal with this actual, actual topic, the Guatemalan Civil War. So, you know, I know it's a, it's a while, but man, like time flies. You blink it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you just put a Google Calendar, like alert for the month and year. And Yeah. So, you know, that comes out. Yeah. September 2024. You know, if... This particular movie was kind of your jam. That one is similar. This is why I was such a hard, uh, hard defender of this movie because I'm like, oh, <laughs> <I think. laughs> everybody who tells stories about this time is great. <laughs> yeah, necessary stories. <laughs> Again, if yeah. I have been overly critical and you feel like yelling at me over it, please do so. Go right. <laughs> you have earned the right to. Yeah, and uh, Alexis, what about you? Where can people find out more about you and your stuff? Yeah, you can find me at Lanix Geeks on Twitter, Instagram. We're uh, hopefully going to be ramping things back up in 2023. But I specifically want to actually shout out Fandom Forward, formerly known as the Harry Potter Alliance, but they have graduated on to Fandom Forward. And they do amazing fan activism. And most recently, we I was part of the Fan Organizer Coalition, and we pretty much worked on a set of uh, best practices on how to create a fan organization and how to make that a space for activism and for just creating a safe place to organize as geeks, you know, from multiple communities. Um, So yeah, I would say definitely check them out. Check out the Fan Organizer Coalition and, you know, look out for any Latinx geek stuff. Awesome. And as for the rest of us, as always, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com, where you can pick up all of their books, including Immortals Phoenix Rising and Renegade Rule. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JRome58 on my website at JeremyWhitley.com. And you can check out everything I write there. And, of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified. On our regular website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod. We would love to hear from you. If you want to come yell at Ben, that's the place to do it. You can also yell at me or Emily if you want to. But, you know, especially if you want to yell at Ben, that's the place. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you would review this wherever you're listening to it. Five stars helps us find more listeners uh, and helps more listeners find us. And again, I do want to thank so much. Thank you to Pablo and Alexis for joining us. It was great to have you guys. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you for 
having me. Yeah, thank you. Of course. Yeah, and uh, as always, thanks to Ben and Emily for joining me. And thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, next week, it's going to be just as heavy as we as we talk about Tigers Are Not Afraid. <laughs> but join us anyway, because that's a real good movie. Until then, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy, Ben, Emily, and Alexis Sanchez and Pablo Leon. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Colo 6 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.